You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 247 of Around the Lens. I'm your host, David J. Murphy, a freelance visual journalist out of South Korea. Joining me this week are two awesome co-hosts, the first one being APA chairman and freelance photographer based out of New York, Mr. Travis Keyes. Hello, Travis. I think I just muted myself because I had to sneeze just as we start. Of course, oh my gosh, I'm timing. good. How you doing? What's going on? I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. And you're doing awesome. Coming off the high of your great interview with uh, Mr. Pete Souza over on yeah, your APA YouTube channel. Everybody go check that out. Uh, it's already trending, going viral, in my opinion, with 1,200 views. So everybody go check that out if you haven't already. Great interview. So Glad you had the opportunity to do that. Was that difficult yeah, to, to garner that, or was that I mean, was he pretty amenable? I mean, I don't know if you talk about the background there, but you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a very no. Busy I mean, guy. obviously, yeah, he was very busy, and uh, we weren't sure that uh, he was going to be able to do it because uh, unfortunately, his mother died a couple of days prior oh, to that. No. So uh, we fully believed, you know, thought that wow, that would, I mean, that's you could totally understandable saying, yeah, he's just not up for it, or you know, it's like we're not uh, MSNBC or CNN or right. you know, Trevor Noah, which he was doing, you know, you know, that same day and other. Uh, days prior leading up to it so we were fully you know up until that point uh, but the pr people were very good and saying you know he's checking in and stuff like that and he came on and we were supposed to only have him for a half an hour and the interview went almost a full hour and uh, it, it was he's he's a he's a very gracious man and i felt so honored to sit down and talk with him yeah i know that's great that he made time out for you know again the the smaller platforms and so um, that bodes well for around the lens maybe we can get him on the show i did actually invite him on when his book first came out i did uh, pitch to him being on the show, but at that point he was done doing his book tour, so I was like, oh well. So, you know, but who knows, maybe I can get him again in the future, you know. Uh, from yeah, from yeah. A, According to the interview, he's doing landscape photography or something like that, or doing, he's taking he's it easy. He's playing a little with that, yeah, and uh, spending the times with his grandkids and stuff. Yeah, so, you know, maybe, maybe, we'll see. I, a, a, a boy can dream, a boy can dream. Um, yes, yes. Uh, our other was co- one of my dreams, so. indeed, yeah, man. Again, great job. Uh, another co-host joining me this week uh, from Hawaii, Mr. Eagle Broadcasting News Documentary <laughs> Filmmaker Broadcaster, uh, Mr. Ron Hamilton. Hello, Ron. How are you, buddy? Well, hello, David. Uh, good to see you again, sir. Travis, always a pleasure, sir. Yes. I was uh, just interviewing Pete Souza the other day. Oh wait, no, no, <laughs> that wasn't me. That was Travis. <laughs> I was staying here in Hawaii where it's very hot. Oh, and we're still under torturous. COVID restrictions. Well, it, 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 that, that, well, yeah, that's true. I forget you guys are in cold weather out there. But it is very hot lately. It's like a week or two. It's just been so hot. There hasn't been much breeze. It's, and it's just hot is, hot is what to you relatively? Oh, I think it's like 86 or something. I, okay. I don't know. All right. <laughs> not, not, it says here, um, seven, oh, I'm sorry, 79 today it says. Well, but okay, I'm, I'm, just it feels very hot, though. 79. It feels very hot. <laughs> feels like 86. <laughs> well, glad to have you back on, Ron. It's been a while since we've had you here, so was able. glad to find a, an immediate time. Worked time out for better you. for me, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Time, time works out better here. 3 a.m. is hard. Uh, seven, uh, 11 a.m. is not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last interview you did? Who'd you interview for Eagle Broadcasting or something? Oh, we, you know, uh, the, the state is opening up, so we had talked to the mayor the other day. Hmm. Uh, 
the state is opening up, quote unquote. That what you do now is that if you want to come to Hawaii, you have to get a test, COVID test before you leave, mm-hmm. and then they'll let you in without a 14-day restriction. That's the latest development. That's, so uh, that's, so if that's, I get a COVID test before I leave for Hawaii and I'm negative, right? and I arrive to Hawaii, and as long as I'm then negative before bird. I left, there's no restriction. you got to present it when you get here or something. I, I don't – but anyway, you'll, you'll be fine though. You don't have no, – no 14-day quarantine is the point. That's that's a little dangerous, I'll be honest, because, you know, we have a lot of people coming into Korea from the U.S. side and, you know, they're negative before they leave, right. but then they're positive when they get here, you know, or they get tested yeah. again. And they mean they may be negative. The way we do it here is you get a test when you arrive. And if you're negative, you still are in quarantine for 14 days oh. because we've seen instances where at the end of that 14 days, you're tested again and you're positive. So, right. But then they've been making sort of these, you know, seen the medical research where it's like after 20 days, even if you are positive, you're not communicable or something like that. Like you're not actually shedding the virus. We're doing so. that here too. The same thing. They're letting the, the hospitals let patients out after like 20 days also. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. It's they a little, they're, they're still COVID positive, but they're, right. but they're not communicable so they can go. Right. It, it's a little scary, honestly, to think about, you know, obviously the fact that people are having the COVID and they're out, but... You know, I, I trust the science. So if they're saying they're good, then they're good. So anyways, but uh, so things are going to maybe return a little bit back to normal then in Hawaii, you hope? Uh, Tourism might come traffic back. Traffic is still empty. It's, I'm looking out the, at the uh, Alawai Boulevard right now, and it's really, really, really light. It's Traffic is not uh, tourist uh, standard right now. It's not back to the normal. Okay. It's still really, really, really light. Still parking. Yeah. Anywhere you guys want to park in Waikiki, come to Waikiki. Wow. You can park down the street. There are no cars. (laughs) Well, if there was a reason to go to Hawaii, that would be it. To park anywhere I want. Parking. Parking, yes. Nice. Well, glad to have you on again, Ron. All right. Well, let's get into the news. A lot of of things happening here in the last last week. And we touched on this topic last week um, in terms of Nikon, right? So Nikon recently announced their, their Z6 II and their Z7 II. And we talked a little bit about the pre-release specs or the sort of, how do I say, leaked specs. Uh, but since the cameras are out now, I thought we could get sort of the regular panel to talk about their thoughts on these two new cameras and what we think about them as potential within, you know, this extremely competitive world of mirrorless cameras. It also seems like every week there's a, there's a new camera coming out. Um, like, I didn't even realize this, but Panasonic pushed out, like, a box camera, the B... GHS1 or something like that. So it's like their their sort of you know affordable cinema camera style, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm not even going to talk about that in, in t- unless you guys want to. But again, I think that's it's, it's, again, there's new cameras coming out all the time. It's just amazing how COVID has not stopped you know the manufacturers from being innovative and, and trying to put out new product. Um, well. The, these most of these cameras are in works way before COVID, so true, true. But you know, again, you think about the manufacturing process and the shipping oh, and, and all the different yeah. pieces that have to go in the retail yeah. side, and in terms of getting a product to you, and you know, again, it's it's nice to see that in that regard, COVID hasn't stopped that. So that's that's good to see. Uh, yeah. But anyways, let's talk about a little bit of these Nikon cameras. Um, 
I'll go over some of the specs. Uh, not a lot. Not a lot has sort of been evolved here in, in uh, general from Nikon in terms of what they bring out with these cameras. Really, uh, they just seem like upgrades, you know, and, and not really you know, doing anything innovative. They're just sort of answering sort of the demands of the, the people who bought the last cameras. So, for instance, you have dual card slots now. You have a UHS-2 SD card slot in addition to a CF Express card slot. Um, but beyond that, you're using the same sensors. Um, the processors have now been, they're now using two processors instead of one. So a little bit more faster processing. And both cameras can shoot 4K 60 video, albeit with a crop. So the Z6 has, I think, a 1.5x crop. Z7 has a 1.08x crop. So those are things to keep in mind. Um, they will be on sale in November for $2,000 for the Z6 and $3,000 for the Z7. So they're, they're relatively within the same general market share in, in terms of cost as their competitors. Um, so it's you know, more, more options for those who are looking potentially to uh, upgrade to mirrorless. You know, if you haven't made your decision or if you haven't already picked your side yet, I would have loved to have Evelyn on here and tease her about, you know, okay, Evelyn, now you have uh, Canon, Sony, and now Nikon to choose from. What are you going to go with? Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, guys, what do you think of these cameras? Well, it sounds like, you know, it's the, the, the one step, you know, it just like, you know, Sony had the same thing at certain points where, you know, you know, they're fixing the little elements that uh, certainly pros and, 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 and shooters want. And these are evolutions that aren't maybe that exciting to buy a new camera or get a new camera, but they're certainly, you know, uh, the evolutions that uh, you definitely want. And, and you know it shows that uh, Canon and uh, Nikon's really in in the game. Yeah, you know, they want to and they want to continue to push out new stuff and and uh, have shooters and all of that. So uh, uh, it's a good thing. Uh, anything that you know helps keep uh, the whole realm exciting is is uh, going to push other companies to you know you know not rest on their laurels and uh, and and produce new things. So I'm 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 all for it. Yeah, Ron, what about you? Yeah, you know. Uh... Same thing, you know, uh, every time you get a new camera system uh, coming out from the manufacturer, it's always, uh, uh, hopefully it's an upgrade. Hopefully they listen to the, the, the feedback from the users and, uh, you know, uh, dual card slots, that's a, it's, a, it's a good thing, you know. Uh, it's nice to see that they do listen. If, uh, if a manufacturer listens to the users, it's a nice thing. Sometimes they don't and they think they know best. Uh, <laughs> Henry Ford said, if I listen to my customers, all they wanted was faster horses, so I never would have made the uh, the car. So they have their points, but it, it is good when they when they expand on things that we that we like. Yeah, you know, dual card slots has kind of been the in vogue requirement. But I'll be honest: does anyone actually use dual card slots in the sort of way they're intended, right, to create sort of that backup image? Do either of you guys actually use dual card slots to their fullest extent? I, I use dual card slots. I, I use them. I use them. Um, I it hasn't been a problem that my card has ever failed that I required the second card slot, but I've I've had two card slots for for a long time. Uh, the Canon 1D uh, Mark II had a um, a CF card and an SD card. Uh, that was my first time with that, and I I, I backed it. But once again, my CF card never 
failed, so I didn't need my SD card. Now I'm shooting a, um, I've moved to the Fuji world, um, and we have dual card slots, and again, I, I, I have two cards in there, and uh, I've only ever used one. I've never had one fail that I needed the redundancy, but I guess just in case. Well, again, I mean, the point of the dual card slots, right, is that you record internally to both cam cards at the same time. So that way, if one card fails, you have the second card. And, you know, I, I, when I asked the question, you know, Travis, you nodded your head no. So you haven't used that them in that regard either, right? No, I, you know what, uh, you know, I, I hate to, you know, I even have that conversation because now that I bring it up, it'll happen or something. I know, like that. right? But of course. The most, the most I've ever had. The most I've ever had happen, you know, in a camera is that suddenly the 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 cards just didn't shoot properly or something like that, and I was able. It didn't ruin the other pictures, but I just swapped out the cards and, and continued shooting. Um, uh, I, I think it's good sometimes if you're using, you know, like if I was on a Fuji, I I, I like I like that uh, um, their film emulation, uh, you know, uh, the they're black and white and stuff like that. Their colors are great. So and I also like shooting raw. So I would throw to one card the the the, uh, the JPEG and the other card to the raw. And I think it's nice to separate it and do it and use it that way. Yeah. So there, or if you're shooting video and and stills, to separate the cards that way. So you got, you know you can hand off the video to one person and the, and, and the uh, mm -hmm. stills to another person. There's lots of ways that you can use the cards that are you know. But I, I I've never shot uh, really responsibly i guess in, in in tandem to you know yeah. to back up at the same time yeah no I've, I've never done that either i've never shot with a redundancy in mind because it's so rare to actually have the card fail in the camera i've had card fail after the fact um like i actually lost a 256 gigabyte uh sd card recently but you know that failed it didn't fail on a shoot it just stopped working while shooting and thankfully you know, I had two card slots in the camera, so I just switched to the other card. But, you know, I, ne I never shot two you know, images going to both cards at the same time or two video yep. streams going to both cards. I know with some cameras you can do that. But then again, if I were shooting something like uh, an extremely important paid gig or a, you know, someone, again, if I was doing paid work, I would probably do it just out of fear or a wedding. You know, if I was shooting a wedding, I would 100% do it if I had that capability. Although in the past, when you've only ever had one card slot, uh, it, it was never something anyone ever thought of. It's only like now that dual card slots are a thing that people actually think about that. No one ever thought like, <laughs> oh, back in the day, you know, they were just I, I'll like. I'll be honest with you, what the, the, the one thing I actually really do like about it is if I, you know, if I'm using only 64 uh, uh, or 128, so I can put two of them in there and if one fills up. My, it's right there in the camera, so I don't yeah. have to worry about like finding one or having one in my pocket. It's just, it's automatically right there, and that's probably why I put two cards in my camera, and uh, and that's the, the the biggest reason I think. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I, I think I can do this with the R5. I haven't tested the capability, but I believe when I'm shooting like 8K, I can create a proxy file on the SD card while recording oh, cool. 8K on the CF Express card. Because I end up having to do that anyways. When I get back to yeah, yeah. editing, I have to create proxy files in order to actually edit. Unless I shoot RAW. If I shoot RAW 8K, which is extremely memory intensive, then I can take it back and I can edit it immediately right onto the computer, which is great because there's no decompressing. But if I shoot any compressed 8K format, like IPB or something, it requires proxy files, which is yeah. irritating. But 
I'm getting I used to say, it. I'm more excited about the other two things that came out recently was the, the Fuji XS10, which I think is a pretty impressive camera that's using the same sensor as the, uh, the X-T4. Um, and it's a mid-range camera around $1,000. And it's, it's a very, very impressive camera uh, for what it is. It's small. Its ergonomics are impressive. I mean, it's tiny. It's small. It's a cool camera. And actually, the video on the new iPhone uh, 12 Pro is really exciting uh, that, that they're putting HDR Pro in there mm-hmm. and they're, you know, yeah. 60 frames. And, and like, the video on that is insane. I mean, it's just they're doing, you know, the, with LiDAR and all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. It's it's that's a that's a real kind of a pocket tool for professionals to either do BTS or different kind of cool cool little stuff in it. I, I I'm actually thinking about trading my iX my uh, 11 Pro in and uh, and getting that one. Just for the video capability. Yeah, yeah. I found I found, well. It's funny because I carry two phones. I, I actually prefer the Samsung uh, Android ecosystem on a phone, but I I really like the video and uh, just uh, some of the apps uh, that and social stuff on on the iPhone. So I kind of carry both. And unfortunately, the uh, they're just starting to. But for the longest time, Pro Photos app only worked on the uh, on the iPhone. So I had to have the iPhone to control my B10s and you know that kind of stuff. So it was sort of a necessity. And yeah. the iWatch. I love the iWatch. So it's like they get me there. <laughs> That's right. They get in that Apple ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I wasn't yeah. actually tracking the Fuji XS10. Uh, let's ask our resident Fuji user, Ron Hamilton. What do you think about this new camera? Have you been following it? Yeah, sure. Same, same as Travis. Probably the same degree. It's, it's, it's a nice little camera. It just came out. It's got some impressive specifications. I don't plan on buying it. Um, but if I was looking to buy a Fuji and I wanted to move into the system, that might be a nice yeah. place to start. Um, it, it's a very nice camera. It's very uh, capable. Um, you get, you know, one thing about Fuji people talk about a lot. Travis brought it up earlier. The film simulations. Oh, I can, um, I can shoot in uh, Velvia. I can <laughs> shoot in Acros. I, you know, the, the same, you know, back in the old days, we had this stuff called film. And what it was was it was this roll of this like plastic stuff. And you put it in your camera, and then you can take <laughs> pictures. And whatever it was is whatever you got. So if you're shooting black and white film, that's what you got, black and white. Nowadays, we have these things called digital cameras. And when you shoot it, you Amazing. can make them look however you want later on on a computer. So I really, even though I'm a Fuji user now, for however long it's been, six months or a year, whatever it's been now, uh, I still really don't get the uh, <laughs> the great thing about it. I, I do it. I do it myself. I try Velvy. I try Acro. I do different black and white things. I do different fake emulsions. I do that kind of stuff. And at the same time, I'm thinking every time I look at it, I could have done this with a couple of clicks on my uh, uh, computer afterward. The fact. So I still there's don't something get it. about but, their there's something about their colors and the simulation yeah. in that in camera that you're not replicating in anything else. And and it really it. I, I've never, like, I'm not, I always shoot raw because I love that extra bit of information. I love pushing things, but right? the black and white, uh, that, uh, the, was it the Acros or the, Acros, the black yeah, and white? Yeah. It's beautiful out of camera. I mean, well, like, I've done And I shoot it like that. I, I have shot, I shot a birthday party a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, it is. It's beautiful. And, and, and if yeah. you want to have the raw there to do other stuff, it's great. But I mean, to, to be able to just kind of look, boom, I'm done. And here you uh, go. It's, yeah, it's, it is nice. But once again, it, I, I, really nice. I don't. I don't see the difference myself. But some people like you, you. You'd be a perfect guy to be a Fuji guy. Change from change from Sony to Fuji. I went from Fuji to. I I did shoot for Fuji for a little while. I did oh, a lot of the press and press stuff and uh, some launch stuff for them and. Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, four or five years ago now. 
You know, you mentioned shooting raw, and I've actually been shooting raw with the Canon R5 since I got it. And honestly, I've never been one of these raw snobs, right? Like, I've shot raw, I've shot JPEG, and I honestly prefer JPEG most of the time just because the the smaller file sizes and the quicker workflow for, you know, for my needs. But, you know, I've been shooting raw with the R5. Just I started out, just kind of test it out, see how well it would work in my workflow, and it's been a dream. Like, I mean, I've got a new computer, granted, but I've had no issues working with the raw files, editing them, and exporting them to JPEG. It's 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 really smooth. And uh, yeah. using it on the camera, like I have no like usually when I've worked with raw on previous cameras, I could feel that buffer, you know, filling up really fast, working really hard. But here, it hasn't slowed me down at all. So I probably should be a raw shooter from you know this t- point forward. Well, I mean, I understand the, the the JPEG. I mean, you're allowing the camera to kind of finalize your picture and take off, uh, you know, some options and and some post stuff that you're able to do when you're shooting raw. And uh, yeah. that's not something I want. It's like yeah. it's like why would go, why would you go to a bakery and only buy 85% of the cake and be charged for the whole cake? It's like yeah. no, nah, you know, I want all the information. And you're actually losing information in the in the in the the shadows and the highlights that you could recover should you need it or, or want to really push or pull a, a, an image. And uh, you just can't do that with the JPEG. It's 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 not that this information is not there. You're just losing a percentage of your information. So uh, if you if you if you like shooting JPEG and, and and, and for some reason that shot didn't come in, just all, shoot to RAW and JPEG at the same time. I, Dave, I was interested, uh, the Canon, I know on older Canons, um, they had uh, the different size RAWs. Does the, the, the R5 has that as well? It does. It has a compressed RAW and a regular RAW. And I saw someone who did a comparison of the two, and he said that I think, he said... I think the conclusion was just shoot raw. Like I think the compressed Unfortunately, raw. Unfortunately, that's that. That's not uh, what I was talking about. Is that on the Canons, like the five D four far, they had uh, raw, medium, uh, small, and large uh, files. Uh, so it was a smaller raw file. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big as raw file. So like say if you're shooting on the you know your, that, that monster, you could put it on a medium or a small raw file, and it's a smaller file. So you're not shooting that huge amount of. Well, let me answer that question for you right now, Travis. Yeah, yeah but. Because it's uh, that's one thing I miss on the Sony is you know especially you know I don't need that 62 megabyte file all the time and uh, I, I would like to go to a smaller raw file. Let's see what my options are. Uh, image quality raw. Okay, I have C raw and I have raw. That's it. Uh, well, oh, okay. actually, yeah. no. Okay, I have raw plus JPEG and I can choose any size JPEG I can want if I want to shoot both at the same time, but. No, I only have two two flavors of raw. That's it. Yeah, that's what that's what's on the Sony too, the raw and uncompressed raw, and it, it takes it from a about like a sixty megabit file to an eighty or a hundred megabit file. So it's uh, it's you know something like that. Yeah. The house is falling down. <laughs> Indeed. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the iPhone since that was announced uh, this yeah. past week, and you mentioned it, and it's got an awesome camera on it. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I've not used an iPhone personally for the last few years. I use them for work, of course, so I, I keep myself apprised of um, them. But in terms of the latest, greatest iPhones, I don't use them. But I know they're wonderful video machines and great photo machines. Um, I am I'm pretty enamored by what the iPhone 12 Pro Max is doing with the raw video yeah. capability and the HDR and stuff. I think that's pretty neat. Um, but you know, that's, that's kind of like the biggest selling point for you, right? You're, you're all about that. Like that's, 
that's something you want to upgrade for, right, Travis? Yeah, because a lot of times uh, I am really just going to shoot uh, behind the scenes video or video for you know for either my social media or a blog or, or, or to have you know as a supplement to when I'm shooting photography you know my, my photos whether it's on set or on location or you know a behind the scenes uh, so to have that and to easily put it on a gimbal or easily you know just throw it on a tripod and film behind the scenes or pull it out of your pocket it doesn't get more convenient than something that's that small that uh, is that powerful and uh, it's amazing what you know people are shooting on these phones right now and with the lidar and uh the the with what they're finally doing with these these lenses that that camera's getting really good in, in lower light too so i mean it's getting impressive in shooting uh at, you know video at low light it's uh so the stuff that's coming out of it is i'm like wow that's uh that's that's uh, something to look into yeah, and no, now, yeah. uh, it, because of that samsung is stepping supposedly stepping up their release of their 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 uh version 21 of theirs uh which i think has four cameras on it so be interesting to see what they're doing with theirs when in doubt just throw more cameras at google, the situation yeah uh google pixels uh, pixel 5 they said is a piece of junk compared to the iphone 12 uh, google's just not in the race anymore i mean and the, what the, their software with their their camera is, is really impressive what they're doing with their low light and all that kind of stuff and it's always been impressive what the, the google pixel does with their their camera but uh they just never seem to they always kind of license it out to someone else to make the google pixel phone and then they'd come out with theirs and it's never it's just never quite always there that you know i think it was something they wanted to just show the off what the android could do and they never really got serious about the phone I've not used the Google Pixel, but I've heard people who love it and for its yeah. photo cap taking capability primarily. So the low light's incredible. I love it. It's nice yeah. sight. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I've like already made my, my new phone conversion, so I'll be using this little guy. Which one is that again? The flip or which? Is it the Samsung one or the? Uh... Yeah, it's the Samsung. The Galaxy cool. Z Fold 2. Or they call it the yeah. Fold? Yeah, Fold. Galaxy Z Fold 2 5G. Yep. Are you enjoying it? I love it. It's a great phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, a cool, I, it's definitely a cool phone. Yeah, and it feels great. feels great in the hand. If you get an opportunity to actually touch one in a store or something, it it feels like nothing else in terms of quality that I've ever had. I got had. to play with it at CES uh, this okay. last year. Yeah. Yeah, and a couple other uh, – ones that they're playing with but uh yeah and the samsung's make amazing camera phones too i mean it, mm -hmm. it's so there it's just right there with the iphone i mean the, the, there's stuff on the samsung you know i think the the uh, wide angle is a little better on the on the samsung's and, and stuff like that uh, and and they're really crisp and, and beautiful pictures oh yeah 100 percent. i'm a little disappointed this can't shoot 8k because that was something i was really looking forward to uh, with the, well, you have a camera that does that now, though. Indeed, indeed. It's just really, an, uh, you know, that kind of softens the blow. Because this camera, or this phone, is probably going to be my phone for the next four years, honestly. I don't see a, a need to really upgrade. And, uh, you know, having the dual capability of the tablet and the phone, you know, really just makes it jack-of-all-trades. So, uh, yeah. I'll be I've never lasted four years on a phone in my life. How do Neither you plan on doing this? <laughs> I mean, phones have gotten to the point where they're, you know, I mean, look at look at the new phones coming out, right? They're making very incremental improvements to things like cameras and stuff like that. Processors. Yeah, but you could drop it in the toilet. You can, you know, well, throw it at your wife or something. I don't know. I would never do that in a million years. <laughs> uh, but, no, I mean, yeah, you take care of your phone. It should last, you know. You just got to be very careful with it. I'll be honest. When I got this, I didn't have a case for it. 
So uh, it was naked for a while. And I was extremely cautious about where I would use it and how I would use it. Like I would literally like if I was going to take it out of my pocket and outside, I would walk onto like piece of grass or something like that. So if I did drop it, it would fall onto grass because I just you drop this phone, you're done. There's no get a little get a little bungee tether for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or a little like maybe a little like a mini um, parachute. So if you do drop it, it deploys the parachute and it falls gently down. Or like one of these expanding bubble things when it drops. Little it. airbags, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little <laughs> airbags, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, any other thoughts on these Nikon cameras before we move on to our next topic? Um, I'll be honest. I'm, no, I'm a little disappointed they didn't come out with the very angle display. Like they're keeping the same sort of flippy up and down screen, but not the very angle. Does, does that bother you guys? Um, yes and no. I... It, uh... I, I, it's tough. I, I, I've wanted that kind of thing on a Sony for ages. And when I played with it on my Canon, it's like when you're a pro shooter, I, I found it uh, kind of get in the way and like I was going to break it in situations <laughs> um, because sometimes you're running to the next thing or grabbing the next camera and to, to flip it shut. Sometimes you leave it open and put it to the side and you don't realize and it can get hit and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's minor gripes, but uh, I, that, uh, the other ones that kind of just pull out and seem just like they're not going to break off as easy and uh, in, in certain situations. It's, and these are just minor gripes. But, uh, you know, if you're shooting video, I think it's a must important to have one that flexes like that because you can get up and get angles and down, get angles that uh, are much easier than the other yeah. type of display. Uh, so I think if you're a video shooter, it's really important. And even, you know, as, as we get, as some of us get a little older, not not me yet, but, uh, you know, that that uh, getting the camera down to the ground, the last thing we want to do is lay down and look through a viewfinder, you know, to be able to, to actually bend that the right way and, and get angles uh, from up and down. It, it saves your knees and back. <laughs> yeah. What about the flipping forward? I mean, do you do the vlogging style much when you shoot with your cameras, uh, that, or are you just using that with your phone? Yeah, because I, I'm I'm someone that uh, in my photography, I'll, I'll turn the camera on myself a lot, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's video or self portraits or uh, out uh, doing behind the scenes stuff or shooting a portrait. You know, with with one of my clients, I always usually end with uh, if I'm shooting portrait session with someone, I usually take a picture with me and them together, just a fun thing at the end, and hold it out there and to see it is it makes it really easy. So yeah. I, I do use that function a lot, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad it's part of the, the Canon R5. I use it a lot. Yeah. Uh, Ron, you're used to using cameras that, you know, have the flip front screen. Are you? Yeah. Would you ever I, use... I do like it like that. I, I, my, my, I, when, I, when I got to Fuji, I didn't want to uh, spend a lot of money on something I didn't know what I was doing. So I bought a used X-T2 to start out. I paid $500. And uh, it doesn't flip forward. It flips up and down and, and sideways, things like that. It doesn't. Uh, anyway, um, I don't miss it as much as I thought I would. I thought I would hate it. So I'm going to use this thing till I understand. I'll get an XT4. And I'll move up. But really, uh, like you said, Dave, I'm using my phone for shooting myself for my, right. my TV stuff I do, mm-hmm. for the video stuff I do. I just use my phone anyway. Sure. So it's really not that big a deal as I thought it was going to be. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about, you know, getting all the capabilities out of one camera as I can. So I would never buy a camera in this day and age that didn't have the ability to flip out just because that's my needs, right? I'm always going to go with more capability over less capability for me personally. So I'm a little surprised Nikon, you know, again, with, you know, they're addressing all these issues from their private previous cameras and they didn't, uh, you know, go with that. It seems it's an interesting choice because, again, I don't think people are buying cameras just for their photo capability. I think they're buying them for everything. And to not be able to kind of flip out and see yourself, I think, is a mistake. Uh, 
by Nikon's part. But, you know, we'll see how the, the sales go of these cameras. But, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Um, this is a frame-by-frame -frame account of a Denver Post uh, protest shooting. Uh, so what was neat about this story, again, I found was that, you know, there's 70 frames, 71 individual frames that were photographed by this photographer during the protest. And what happened in this scenario essentially is that, you know, a man was shot and killed um, on the Saturday of this event, which I believe was October 12th. Um, I'll have to double check the date. Uh, but anyways, it was a protest and uh, this was a se private security firm that an NBC, NBC affiliate had hired in Denver. And essentially the security guard shot a man who had uh, sprayed them with uh, pepper spray. And again, I'm just talking allegedly here. I, obviously, we can see the imagery and we can talk about what's in there. But, you know, there's there's details about this that are currently being litigated. So, you know, I'm talking about what I can uh, know from the story. Uh, but uh, anyways, the security guard shot the protester and the 71 images detail sort of the exactly what happened in the frame of the photographer. So I thought this was interesting because it's rare that we see, you know, the entire capture from a photographer or photojournalist at an event. Usually we're just seeing that one frame, right? Or maybe a few frames. Sometimes they show like a few sequence of frames, three or so in a row to kind of get sort of the feeling of what happened in that moment. But, you know, here we're seeing something that took place over the course of a few seconds and you're getting, you know, every single frame that happened in that instance. So, uh, you know, throw it over to you, um, Travis, first. You know, what do you think about uh, this sort of, I guess, transparency with regard to the imagery that was captured? And what do you think we can learn from something like this where we see every single frame in a sequence? I think it's amazing uh, on so many aspects. Uh, a, that you just get to be able to see, oh, that's what the, you know, a lot of times you get to choose one one image. And when you can see the flow of the images and say, oh, why did they pick that one? Or which one I would have picked? Or, you know, oh, the difference of a one one frame in 70 frames to the next frame, like how much difference there is. Uh, it's it's great. And, and anytime you get to see like the greats, you know, on their, their, you know, used to have all these contact sheets when people were shooting film and uh, you don't really have contact sheets anymore. But when you see the greats like Avedon and stuff like that, and they're, they're marking in and showing you the, the whole shoot and what they're choosing it. I think it's, it's, such an amazing tool to to grow with to learn with uh and i love seeing that kind of stuff i mean i i, I eat that up i there's actually some books that uh, i think it, it's abaddon has one and it's all the contact sheets and stuff like that and it's fabulous as a learning tool uh and it's just great to be able to see like oh maybe they are hiding something or not hiding something or why did they choose this or why didn't they choose that it just uh it it really kind of gives a transparency as you were saying that's a you know uh pull back the curtain yeah, absolutely. Ron, what are your thoughts on this series? You know, I was looking at the photographs. I was thinking about what if I was the photographer, what would I, how would I have reacted? That's a pretty scary situation, people shooting around you like that. And right. to keep your cool, keep your composure in a situation like that really shows this guy must be uh, either really brave uh, or um, stupid. <laughs> You know, not aware of the danger of people shooting guns around you. So one of the well, or, or just a, a hardened professional that is used to this thing. Maybe he's a, maybe he's combat experienced. Maybe he's been a, a, a combat photographer for the Marine Corps and he's used to that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I don't think I could have done that good of a job. 
Right. And my hat's off to the guy. That's it's really awesome stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it's like this happens over the course of a second, a few seconds, I think. And so it, it happens almost so fast you don't even realize what you're seeing. It's just you're 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 professional, right? And this guy is obviously a professional. He knows what he's doing. He held his composure. And he got the shots, and that's what you know—the signs of and marks of a true professional. Whether or not you've experienced combat or not, you know, I think most of the people who we've talked to and had on the show, and probably Evelyn could attest, you know, we're all sort of used to this now, right? This sort of protest environment because they've been going on for so long. Especially if you cover protests regularly, you know, to see and be a part of sort of a situation where. Uh, there's maybe not shooting, but at least via violence or, you know, yelling or a very sort of kinetic action, it's it's not unusual anymore, right? So we're probably all a little bit jaded and used to it. So when this happened, you know, it was probably something where, you know, instincts kicked in and obviously he pressed down the shutter and got all the frames. You know, he didn't freak out. He didn't, you know, thing. But again, it happened so fast and you see the, it's really towards the end of the frames where the actual shooting occurs. So it's probably just something like, okay, I'm capturing, I'm capturing, I'm capturing. Oh my God, something just happened, and it was it was probably you know maybe you didn't even realize it happened until after the after the moment. Um, but again, a, a really tremendous series of imagery here, and you can see, you know, in seeing every single sequence, I think this is a masterclass in how to be, you know, an uh, an eyewitness, you know, in terms of what we are, you know, as photojournalists, we are eyewitnesses of of reality of life of the world and to, you know, again, hold his composure and hold his framing. Uh, I could complain a little bit about the framing here, but otherwise though, he captured, you know, the important moments in the scene. You know, if I was a, if I was a prosecutor, if I was putting this in the court of law as evidence, you could see like, okay, you can exactly see what happens here. Uh, what provoked the shooting in the first place, you know, justified or not, you know, again, um, you can see what happened and create the story just as much as you would from like a video scene. But here it's, I think each frame stands out as that much more impactful and powerful because you can see each one. Um, has, has there ever been, is there another sort of series of photographs that you can think of that you've seen that have been uh, examined? You know, like, again, I think back to film days, you know, sometimes um, you would see a photographer's entire contact sheet. You know, that's kind of the equivalent that I would think of. And it was always interesting to see how a photographer built their shots or mm -hmm. what shots they chose from the series. And I was thinking, like, which frame of this would you guys pick as sort of the most impactful frame? Is there, you know, of these, of these 71 frames, which one do you all think is, like, the most impactful frame? Unfortunately, I don't have it back up in front of me at this moment uh, to to pull out one. Um, okay. I look remember looking at them, but uh, I, I I couldn't answer that off the top of my head. No worries. I like the visually speaking. I like that orange pepper spray spraying out. That's a that's a really nice image there. Um, visually speaking, like we we don't have protests. You guys talk about protests and this and that. We don't have those here in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> We, we, we have people with picket signs sometimes, but we don't. You got to come back violence. to the continental U.S. for that. No, now. sir. <laughs> we're not, I'm not looking forward to that. We don't. They say, oh, we're all battle hardened. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> we, well, you're I, I Hawaii. I stand on the other side of the street with a long lens and I take pictures of people with signs. If the guys had guns, I'd be two streets over taking pictures of the longer lens. Yeah. No, I'm not getting in there. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if I were to like pick out sort of the the shots that kind of stick out to me, um, I would say you know there's a the sort of telling store shots here, frame eight forty two, where you see a security guard sort of separating two people, two people arguing with each other. Um, there's frame. Let me see here. I'm just going down. I think frame eight sixty two, where you see. So the guy with the pepper spray, you know, pointing it at the, the photographer or at least in the same direction of the photographer. I think that's, you know, a pretty telling image in terms of giving you sort of the, a sense of the um, severity of the incident in terms of, you know, this guy is ready and willing to use this on whoever he deems uh, is a threat to him. And then you see the conflict here between the, the security guard and the protester. And I think the frame, either frame 864 or 865, where the, the protester is actually hitting the security guard, you know, that's kind of like, okay, there's the, there's one, you know, the next impetus in terms of what is causing sort of the, the conflict between the two. And then you get into the other shot here. Again, once he deploys the pepper spray and you see the security guard up with the camera. I don't know if I choose 874 or 875. Probably 874 because it has a better stream. 874 of looks better to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell. I the, the again, this is where I would critique the photographer and say, "Oh man, I wish you were just a little bit to the right, a little bit wider. Get the get the gunman in the shot." But you know, I would say, "Hey, there is hey no man, pleasing you, Dave." <laughs> I'd be like, "Hey man, next time somebody pulls out a gun in front of you and you happen to capture that once in a lifetime moment, just make sure to think a little bit. Look at your entire frame, okay, man? No, obviously, uh, but you know, in terms of impactful photos, yeah, probably eight seventy four is a little bit better um, in terms of just showing that conflict between the two of them. Um, you know, I can always just put this into Photoshop and do a little. What's that? Uh, Auto fill, right?" You know, fill in the rest of the person. Just, content, you know, content yeah. aware, I'll just do content aware fill on the on the guy with the gun, and you know that'll that'll be fine. Get him back in there. <laughs> uh, anyways, and then probably probably eight seventy nine or eight eight eighty in terms of just you know obviously the tragic aspect of the situation um, with the you know the the pepper spray person um, falling down. So. Uh, you know, yeah. it's interesting that he kept the, shooting the, the, the dead guy on the ground, but he's not turning the camera toward the shooter to see what he's up to. He kept that same frame on the – well, I guess he's ripping off 20 frames a second or something, right? I I would – I mean, he's using a D5. So that yeah. thing, uh, I think, can shoot 20 frames a second. So, you know, that would make sense. I mean, I think we're talking about a, a period of time that's right. you know, taking place over – you know, yeah, the 70 of, frames, so like three seconds, four seconds, like that, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, when you're shooting a protest, you're usually shooting at a very high frame rate just because things are slipping so quickly and so much around you. But um, obviously a tragic situation, you know, and we'll see what the actual verdict and outcome is. But again, from a purely learning perspective, uh, I got to give it up to the photographer for holding his composure. Obviously a true professional there. Sad when this sort of thing happens. Of course, but book him for next week. Uh, you, you, you're on that round, right? You're usually the one who's going out and finding the people who are related. Yeah, I know. To the story. I am now. I am now that I said that. Now I am. I'm looking for this guy. Hang on. Well, his his, his email is right there. You can email the newsroom and ask. Get him on the show. Talk about the situation. But 
All right. Any other thoughts on this uh, series of images or, again, ha have there been instances where you've learned from another shooter and being able to see his entire take? The ones I've already mentioned. Yeah. I like it when you yeah, go this to like... Is a, it's, a, it's a rare glimpse. I like it when you go to a... I mean, this is what you pay for when you go to like a... Um, Museum you know, exhibit or something like that. Or, or, or a... Uh, like a class. A class, yeah, where you see uh, the actual it, photographer. Review, uh, album review, what do you call that thing? Not album review. No, no, no. Portfolio review? Not review? a portfolio review. I'm talking about like... When you go to like a lighting class at a, 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 a workshop, show, a workshop, yeah, and you see the uh, photographer build their image over time, like that's the only other time I can think of where you're seeing like every single image as it's being done, typically. Uh, but that's obviously a very controlled environment. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our last topic this evening, and uh, I chose it because obviously, you know, Travis, you got the opportunity to speak with uh, Pete Souza during your interview. And, you know, I did have some things when I saw the interview that kind of came up to mind I wanted to talk about with regard to sort of just generally what we can learn from, you know, photographer like him. Um, so I'll throw it over to you first. You know, obviously this uh, this is based on an article that Petapixel pushed out, what it takes to be a White House photographer. And they sort of go over some of the things that, you know, Pete Souza had to do and sort of his thoughts on how he became a White House photographer. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of, Pizzuz's career in terms of you know how he became what he you know was. Um, do you agree with kind of uh, sort of the? I mean, obviously it's his thoughts. And he he was a White House photographer, so you can't disagree with him. But you know, again, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Pizzuz as a person in in terms of why he was the one who became the you know the, the White House photographer? Yeah. No, I mean, and it's funny you're talking about it. You know, we were just discussing the person who takes a lot of. Uh, to be able to fire off, you know, shots in a war type environment, or uh, you know, or when someone's shooting. And I, when I was talking to Pete, he's like, uh, he actually went over to uh, Afghanistan after 9/11 and mm -hmm. uh, did some shooting. Yeah. And uh, he said, I am, I am definitely not a wartime, you know, photographer. I said, I'm not good at it. I don't, I, I don't react well when RPGs are being fired off and stuff like that. Uh, but boy, is he a gifted uh, White House photographer, and uh, that's evident from seeing the images that uh, when he was in his 20s, uh, working for, you know, the first time. He was in the White House with Reagan, uh, which were absolutely incredible, and uh, some of the images. And what he captured with um, Obama is really special because I think they, they, they had a certain connection, and uh, they met when he was a, you know, a senator. And uh, they, 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 he, Obama saw something in him um, uh, that uh, obviously he liked. He, he thought he was a good photographer, and, uh, and they brought him on and gave him access to shoot uh, – not only you know the whiteout events, but a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is unfortunately we're not seeing that nowadays. I don't remember seeing a picture of you know Trump playing with uh you know his son or anything like that, uh, or, or embracing children. And it's like we saw this background of him being a father, of him being uh, a thoughtful man, of him behind the scenes that uh, and an access uh, that we're not seeing, and that archive that is uh, captured by him is not only just amazing that he was able to have that access but the photos he took are beautiful i mean they they, they stand on their own merit and uh there's a reason why he's pete souza and and uh and becoming a legend in his own right and have, now having a voice outside of 
uh, you know, being a fly on the wall, but he was he he really kind of said, I just wanted to document what was there and disappear in the background. And if they said, oh, I didn't even know it was here, I know I was doing my job. You know, he he was really incredible uh, about saying that. Uh, you know, he just wanted to capture everything there and uh, and leave this archive for the future that uh, mm. people could have. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting because obviously, you know, like you said in the interview, and it sort of is a sort of something that's obvious when you're shooting sort of government officials is that not every single frame they shoot is going to make it into the public discourse, right? There's security oh. reasons and there's other issues that prevent uh, certain you know, photos from being immediately released. And that could be the instance here with, you know, President Trump in terms of certain things that are being photographed that aren't, you know, being released at this time. But again, no matter what, everything gets added to the archives and, you know, we'll probably see the light of day at some point in the future. And he said the same thing, too, about Obama. There are certain things that uh, were released and certain things that weren't released. And I found it interesting what he said is that, you know, when those things do release, we are going to be looking at it at, you know, it'll be an interesting sort of visual and perspective you know what's interesting on that though he also brought up on the flip side that uh the the trump campaign is actually releasing more photos in this three and a half years than than on their Flickr account than uh susa did in eight years with obama uh so they're putting the images out there but they're very different images that they're Uh, putting out right yeah no i mean that's you know i think that's going to be the case no matter what president you have in office you know each president is going to have different levels of comfort Absolutely. with regard to the yeah. photographer being in a specific area and you know in terms of what the photographer is given access to um it's you know it's not it's not even the the the, the security aspect of it uh it was that the behind the scenes that he just let him shoot the family and the intimate moments and mm-hmm. and gave him an access to stuff that sure. you know that from what it sounds like, Trump does not give his access to the photographer. And I guess we'll see down the line, but it certainly sounds like Trump more, it's like, you know, get over here and shoot this stage thing. It's like, you know, and, and that moment, you know, uh, when uh, Sousa shot you know, the, the, uh, the, the 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 room the, uh, where you know when they were uh, going after Osama bin Laden and you see the intensity on people's faces and then you go to the picture which Sousa says is, is very clearly faked because to get the picture uh, that they got the photographer would have had to stand in front of the TV and they're all kind of looking at the camera and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Suze's is off angle and they're all looking and, and it's, it's incredible the difference of those two pictures. And I think that kind of sums up, you know, what we're being fed and what's being, you know, it, kind of captured in this administration opposed to the blanket blanket kind of access that Suze was given, which was pretty, I, I don't know if we'll get that again. I just, it, 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 it was a special time as a special relationship there and a special trust. And, uh, we'll see, you know, it, it could happen again, but, uh, it was, it was, it's pretty incredible. The book is amazing. The, the documentary, the way I see it is unbelievable. It's, uh, it's, it really, uh, shows what an incredible person he was in capturing, you know, all this kind of stuff and his, and basically saying is like, I, I gave up eight years of my life to, you know, to always be on call 24 seven. And, you know, and they, at one point they're talking that, you know, he had walking pneumonia and was still going to work to capture these, you know, images and uh, how committed he was to, 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 you know, getting them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a different time, right? Cause nowadays yeah. if you're sick, stay home, you know, don't, uh, <laughs> exactly. don't go to work. Okay. Don't push well, through in the white house. They're, they're still going to the, to work in no mass and, and <laughs> when they have COVID parties, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the level of access that Obama gave Pete with regard to, you know, being there for everything. Right. And I think that's unusual with regard to 
former and past presidents. And I don't think it's necessarily because Obama was the first African-American president. I think that had something to do with it. But I think it's the perfect confluence of not only being an extremely unique president, again, being historically the first African-American president, but also being in the purely and truly digital age of, you know, again, cameras everywhere for everything and having, you know, unlimited shoot capability. And I would say probably even in, you know, the prior president, George Bush, you know, there was obviously digital cameras there um, and even probably a little bit with Clinton. But, you know, again, in that transition to film to digital, you'd see, I'd say, more images with digital, right, than you would with film, just purely by the fact that you can shoot more. I've shoot thousands Mm -hmm. more pictures because I can shoot them digitally than I would with film. And I think that sort of, you know, that perfect confluence of having a, a relatively young president along with, you know, the availability and overall saturation of digital gear, along with an extremely historical moment with regard to who was elected, I think all sort of came together in sort of that desire to capture everything all the time. I think that there's a huge amount of archive in this, but it's not the first, certainly not precedent. You know, I mean, I, you look at the access that uh, uh, Sousa had with Reagan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and shooting, you know, uh, Nancy, you know, in the hospital or, and, 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 and different things with uh, uh, Reagan. And also, if you look back to Truman, he, he wanted shots of everything, man. He just, he wanted the photographer yeah. to shoot all kinds of crazy, crazy fun stuff. You know? So it really depends on, on the president. Uh, I, and I think looking back on, on a lot of those images, even JFK, you know, you know, with his kids and, and the stuff, you know, in the background and Jackie, uh, there was a lot of uh, images captured behind the scenes in, in, in those and in intense moments too, heavy, heavy moments, you know, uh, with uh, JFK. Uh, but uh, I think it just, you know, watching that opposed to the juxtaposition of what is being released. And, and if you just throw the, you know, just go through the Flickr accounts of the White House now and the Flickr accounts uh, versus Obama, uh, you see the difference in the presidency and in, in, in what's been released. And it, it's, it's, it's striking. Yeah. I'd be interested to know in kind of looking back historically, you know, what levels of access presidents have given over time to their photographer or, you know, made them aware of. Because, you know, the photographer really is just Mm -hmm. there. If you look at it from a purely like utilitarian perspective, right, they're there to capture, you know, the important events that the president is at. You know, the historical, hey, here's world leader X missing with me. Here's an event. We're giving a, a medal of honor. You know, that's that's the role of the photographer. All the sort of intimate personal portraits, that's up to the role of the person. You know, you know, there's no requirement, I would think, that say, hey, I'm playing with my kids in the snow. Get that photographer out here. Obviously, you have access to that person and can use them, but there's no, like, mandate. As far as I know, you know, I could be completely wrong in that regard. I've never been a White House photographer. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> After retirement, Dave. That's after your military yeah, maybe, retirement. Maybe we'll see. You know, another thing, too. <coughs> excuse me. Another thing, too, that I, I think is interesting is that, you know, the White House doesn't have one photographer, okay? There's, you know, Pete yeah. Souza may be the most well-known, but there's a, a whole host of – there's a photography team because, obviously, one person can't do everything. and It's not a big team, though. It's only a couple people. There's oh, okay. only, it's two or three – yeah, oh, it's really? uh, you know, yeah, it's not a, it's not a very big team. It's a very small department. Oh, okay. um, and uh, yeah, I no, mean, I... obviously he was chief White House photographer, but uh, you know, I think he worked with uh, another woman and uh, another gentleman that uh, that uh, really kind of covered covered everything. Right, but I can't think of any other photographer who's ever shot a president or you know photographed a president, you know, who worked in the White House, um, who has reached his level of sort of fame and notoriety. You know, like there was one woman who I met 
um, who I actually interviewed for the show, um, who was uh, an African-American ph photographer for the White House for Bill Clinton. And, you know, she was uh, speaking at an event, but that's the only way I know any other photographer who's ever, you know, worked in the White House. You know, and I wonder if that's just Pete as a person being, you know, the, you know, desire to tell the story and so or is that just the sign of the times and that there's a story to be told and everybody's gravitating towards finding out what that story is um i i, I mean think i think it's we're more more uh, acutely aware of of the position now and uh and and photographers in general and i think uh you know i mean certainly marion carpenter who was the very first white house female uh got a lot of notoriety just because she was you know a nurse turned you know photographer and and captured uh you know uh being the first female but i think also pete is very charismatic but it was because of his uh twitter account that really brought him notoriety and and, and drawing attention uh and and the book uh shade uh, where uh, he would take the Trump tweet, you know, where he'd say Obama never did this, and then he would instantly have a photo and a, a caption, uh, you know, which was actually quite humorous most of the time. But uh, he would point out, you know, the very differences. And the book is, you know, is unbelievable. And and for him to pull out from this archive, you know, and he had basically if, if there was an interview with him and Trevor Noah uh, that uh, says he, Trevor was asking, do you have a, a photo for everything that Trump uh, that Trump has lied about? And he's like, I think, I, yeah, pretty much I do, <laughs> you know, and uh, so that 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 whole kind of moment in time where he suddenly became this Twitter fanatic and going to talk shows that brought him. I don't know if if he didn't do that throwing shade, if he would have been widely known as he is now, because now he's sort of like this urban folk hero that uh, has come out. Uh, and and usually those positions and take no political side. And he didn't take any political side. He worked for, you know, Reagan, who was, you know, one of the most iconic, you know, uh, Republican presidents, and now Obama, he was the you know most iconic Democratic. So he's he's not a political person. He didn't want to be a political person, but uh, he just basically said this wasn't right and this wasn't normal, and I had to say something, and I had to talk, and uh, so that I think that vaulted him into a, 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 a arena that uh, you know other photographers weren't in. Right. No, absolutely. And you know, I don't know if you mentioned it during the show or you asked him, you know, but or or know of this, but. Has the president ever called him out on a tweet or or whatnot? You know, like added him or pointed out. You know? Which is funny. You know, that would be the most logical question for me to finalize or, or ask him. But I didn't ask that. <laughs> I will have to follow up with that. Uh, and 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 uh, when I write him a thank you email, which is coming up soon, I'm going to follow up with that Do one you, question. Yeah, let us know or have him back on. Do a second interview. It was tough enough to get the first one, I so right? there may be some time before I get a second one with him. No, but, you got uh, that in you know, now, I, Travis. You got that in. I I have David Burnett next coming up soon, so that's nice. uh, that's going to be a great one. Yeah, so that's he's awesome. uh, you know a legendary. You know, yeah, he, he took his large format to the Olympics and shot that amazing shot and did a, amazing stuff. You know, in uh, the Iran Revolution in the seventy four and seventy nine, uh, and did some amazing stuff. Incredible photojournalist and what a career. So I'm excited to sit down and talk with him next. Definitely. Uh, Ron, any thoughts from you on Pete Souza and, and sort of the way he's done it and sort of the the requirements to be a White House photographer? In interest of keeping the, the show to a reasonable length, I'll, I'll keep it short. Uh, I'll tell a story that I was telling Travis before the show started. I won't mention any names, but I have God. a friend who's a, he's a famous photographer and uh, world class. And... Uh, he is not a fan of my photography. <laughs> if I try to show him a photograph that I, hey, look what I got a great shot. 
uh, it's okay, you know, or it's crap. Mostly it's crap. No, it's crap. You didn't do a good job. Look at the colors. Look at the angle. No, you did bad. You did it wrong. And if I show him somebody else's photograph, say, uh, hey, look what Dave shot. Dave's a great guy. Look what Dave shot. Oh, it's crap. It's total, total crap. Oh, crap. And then I said something about, um, you know, you know, Zach had that one shot where he had the 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 the, the guy getting the, the black guy getting beat by the, the white guys, whatever, you know, with the sticks, right? And I showed him that. Oh, it's too yellow. Look at that. He showed that a white balance better. It's crap. Okay, great. And then we were talking about photographers. Oh, he's not that great. Not that great. And I said, what about Pete Souza? Pete, he, he, he's all right. <laughs> okay. He's just okay. He's all right. The, it sounds like in his world, that's super high praise. <laughs> right, that's the best you're going to get, yeah. Makes me think, what is the photographer or photograph he actually likes? Yeah. You know? You know, no, he was showing me stuff, too. And he was, and it's, it's, it's high level stuff, you know, it's. Look at look at the way this interacts with this. Look at the way. Uh oh, there's babies in the background. <laughs> Bring them in, Dave. That's that's okay. the Bring zoom the thing. Though, that, that's not? the highlights and the, what goes viral is 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 the pets and kids. This is the best part that's of the what, show. That's man. what makes you know these things so interesting is pets and kids. There hey, we go. Look who's there. there we hey, go. Bubba. Hey everybody, Hello, this buddy. is my son Adrian. Adrian, say hi. Adrian. Say hi. Say hi, hi everybody. Say, what, what are you wearing there? What kind of, what's on your shirt there? Pikachu. Pikachu. Oh, Pikachu. 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 So, Adrian, what did you think of Pete Sousa's work, Adrian? He can't I want to know you. what you thought of Pete Sousa's work. Oh. <laughs> he can't hear you. Let's do it louder. Oh, okay. What do you think of Pete Sousa? I know. Do you like Pete Sousa? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, what about President Obama? Are you a fan of President Obama? Yeah. Okay. Do you like uh, President good, Trump? Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you say, this is Around the Lens? Around the Lens? Yeah, you're listening to Around the Lens. We're, we're, we're doing a, sh a sharky we're thing here. Around the Lens. Around the Lens. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a great uh, guest appearance by my son. All right. Get out of here, kiddo. <laughs> Lock that door. Anyways, uh, with that said, let's go ahead and end this week's show. Um, unless there was anything else, Ron, you had to say. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I don't remember what I was saying, but everybody watch around the lens. We come here every day, every every week we're here. Indeed. Watch our specials. Everybody does a hot take. We have a new thing we're doing around the lens called the hot take. Once a week, every one of our uh, correspondents, or what do you call us, co-hosts, will be doing a hot take on some vital issue of importance every week tune to our on the lens you'll watch us all doing important things don't you make promises you can't keep now ron uh that's all i do <laughs> indeed <laughs> speaking of promise i'll be on next week too yeah Three right in the morning, I'll be up. well speaking we'll probably do the show at this time for the next few episodes anyways we're approaching our uh 250th episode wow. five-year anniversary show coming up on um in november 11th or something like that veterans day usually when it is so check that out uh ron you got anything you want to people to check out before we sign off okay ron is muted travis is there anything you want to let people know about before we sign off no it's, it's such a pleasure always you know 
and talking with you guys. And uh, if people have further questions, they want to uh, kind of uh, tell us what they like, didn't like, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, uh, what uh, guests we should have, what topics they'd like, please get in touch with us because we'd love hearing from you and it helps us program and uh, and uh, connect with you because that's uh, ultimately what we're trying to do. That's right, man. And if you want, want to tell Travis what guests he should have on in his show, let him you know do that as well. Um, all right. Well, this has been. You can always a, come and check out my show, though. Open Talk. Indeed, Open Talk. Find it on YouTube, nice and easy. And the Pete Souza one's up now, so you can watch the the replay of that. Heck yeah, let's get that up to ten thousand views. Come on. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So this has been around the lens, episode two forty seven. If you like what you're listening to, or you'd like to learn more about what we're talking about, you can find the show notes on our website aroundthelens.com you can find us on all the social media platforms of choice you can find links to all of those social media platforms on our website as well and uh, we highly encourage you to go there especially facebook and go on to the comments for this show and let us know what you think about what we said whether you agree or disagree uh, or i just have comments in general please bring them to us we always like to hear from the audience members and i'll be happy to go on there and you respond to what you're saying. So, uh, yeah, let's bring the conversation back to you all. All right. Well, this has been episode 247 of Around the Lens. For Travis Keys and Ron Hamilton, I'm David J. Murphy, and we are out of here. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com. <laughs>